Grey's Anatomy, the most iconic binge-worthy drama, is back, along with answers to the biggest cliffhangers. Will Teddy survive? Will Joe and Link finally find happiness together? Meredith returns along with fan faves like Arizona. You can now stream every episode of Grey's ever on Hulu and new episodes next day. Watch new episodes of Grey's Anatomy Thursdays at 9, 8 central on ABC and stream on Hulu. When you drive a vehicle so reliable it's backed by a 10-year, 100,000-mile limited warranty, you stop thinking about what you can't do and start doing what you never thought possible. Visit your local Kia dealer today to see what you're capable of in a vehicle that inspires confidence around every corner. Kia. Movement that inspires. Call 800-333-4KIA for details. Always drive safely. Limited inventory available. Warranties include 10-year, 100,000-mile powertrain and 5-year, 60,000-mile basic. Warranties are limited. See retailer for details. Hello and welcome to Psychic Teachers. I'm your host, Deb Bowen. And I'm Samantha Fay. We are just so delighted and honored that you are joining us for one of our favorite episodes every year. Samantha and I try at least once a year, sometimes more, to do an episode about angels. And what more wonderful, appropriate time than here during the holidays. So we have some great stories to share with you about angels in our world. So sit back, take a deep breath, have a cup of tea, and join us as we talk about angels on earth. Samantha, would you like to get us started? I would love to. Our first story originally appeared in Angels on Earth magazine and is about an angel comforting a soldier named Wes Allard at Christmas. He writes, I was 21 years old spending my second Christmas in Korea after being drafted into the U.S. Army Corps of Engineers. I was alone walking back to my barracks after a night out with the guys. It was cold and dark Christmas Eve. I wrapped my arms around myself and trudged onward. Everyone had talked about what they missed back home, the holiday festivities, their families. All my comrades had something they'd return to, but not me. I didn't even mind being far away for the holidays. I'd had a rootless childhood, landing with my grandparents when I was 11. I never met my dad. I didn't even have a brother to lean on. I resented the fact that I was basically alone in the world. My thoughts weighed heavy as I opened the door to my barracks. Darkness enveloped the room. I headed down the center aisle toward my bed when something caught my eye. A fuzzy light was hovering at the far end of the room. Was one of the guys playing a trick on me? Who is that, I asked. What are you up to? No answer. This didn't look like a security light or even a flashlight beam. The shining orb was soft and white, about the size of my hand, somehow familiar. Slowly, it moved toward me. I walked in its direction as if in a trance. I stopped at my bunk, eyes fixed, and sat down. The light moved closer, getting brighter until it was upon me, so blinding I had to bow my head. Something touched me, surrounded me. I felt warm and secure, like I'd been embraced. The glow washed over me, bathing me in calm. Everything, loneliness, resentment, envy, all my heaviness melted away. In its place was a tranquility I'd never known. I didn't want it to end. It seemed to stay forever, and yet not long enough. And then it was gone. There I was again, just me, alone in the barracks. But I was changed. The memory of that angelic embrace has never left me. That Christmas, God gave me the gift of a lifetime, 
the assurance that I was far from rootless. I love that story because, believe it or not, I've read and heard similar stories like that from many people. It's almost as though our heavenly guardians want us to know we truly are never alone. There's a wonderful book on Christmas angels by Rosemary Ellen Guiley, who I think we lost way too soon. She has now passed. But she tells about her first Christmas alone after a divorce. And she had a very similar thing happen where this orb just kind of came down the stairs and appeared in front of her. And she knew beyond a shadow of a doubt that she was never alone, that she always had this love and guidance around her. And I just think those stories are so beautiful and comforting, especially during these times. I do too. That's lovely. Our next story was originally published in Guidepost magazine and is written by Joan McGeorge. I closed my eyes, as I always did, so I could concentrate on my morning devotions before I got ready for work. Concentrating on anything could be extra hard during the busy holiday season, but it always calmed me to start my day by praying for others or simply giving thanks for my blessings. Today was unusual in that I had a specific request. God, is mom looking down on me from heaven this Christmas? It had been more than 20 years since my mother had passed, but the question suddenly seemed important to me. The day before, a co-worker had come by my office to tell me about a close call she'd just had. She'd stopped to fill up her tank on the way into work, and just as she was about to pull out of the gas station, she heard a woman scream. She slammed on her brakes, and it was a good thing she did. Barely a second later, an 18-wheeler going way too fast flew right in front of her. The woman who had screamed must have seen it coming somehow and had probably saved my coworker's life. But there was no one, not a man or a woman, anywhere in sight. That's when I realized it had to be my mom looking down from heaven, still keeping me safe, she said. I felt a little jealous. Of course, God knew all that. But still I asked, please give me a sign that my mom still looks out for me too. That would be the best Christmas gift of all. I got ready for work and gathered my things to leave, passing through the kitchen on my way out. I stopped when I noticed something out of the corner of my eye. There was a smudge on my Mrs. Claus cookie jar. The lid needed a quick wipe down, so I picked it up only to nearly drop it when music began to play. I'd had this cookie jar for years and brought it out every Christmas, but it had never played music before. After some investigating, I saw that, in fact, it was a musical cookie jar. So why did it choose to play for me this morning after all this time? Surely it was an answer to my Christmas prayer, and I couldn't wait to tell my coworker that I had proof that our moms watched over us from heaven. Mrs. Claus had told me so. I think that's such a great story because it's one we can all resonate with. I know sometimes when I hear of people's encounters, I'm like, oh, I want one like that too. And to think that she had that same thought and you know, asked, please, mom, if you're around, let me know. And then right away, she had this, this lovely validation. She didn't even know it was a musical cookie jar. And it was like her mother was ringing the bell from heaven saying, I'm here singing your praises still. I love it. And I want to know what the song was. You know? Yeah, me too. Okay, our next story is also from Guidepost, and it was submitted by Jeanette Torres. She writes, Florida was a long way from New York City where I'd lived most of my life. This was a big change. Getting out of my car, I had to remind myself that despite the heat and the palm trees, Christmas was almost here. 
With the stress of moving, it was easy to forget. How could I feel that old, reliable Christmas spirit when everything around me was 100% new? I went inside the bank to set up a safe deposit box. Shaking hands with a bank employee, I glanced at her name tag, Mrs. Soto. My old partner in the NYPD was named Joseph Soto, I said. What a coincidence, the woman said. Joe was my uncle. What are the odds that here in sunny Florida, I'd run into the family of my old partner from New York City? Partners get to be family almost. The longer you work together, the closer you get. Joe and I had patrolled the streets of Glendale, Queens for 11 years. When you spend hours together in a patrol car, you do a lot of talking. Joe and I shared our hopes and dreams and protected one another. We lost touch after he retired to Kentucky with his wife. I said, how is he? Young Mrs. Soto looked away. Uncle Joe died, she said, Alzheimer's. My aunt is having a hard time. Oh, she was the apple of his eye, I said. I should write her a letter, I thought. Tell her what a great man her husband was. I finished up my banking business and promised to see Miss Soto soon. As soon as I had a quiet moment to myself, I sat down to write. I was back in my patrol car, listening to Joseph talk about his unending love and devotion for his wife and family. My wife is a strong person, he used to say, and that's what makes me love her deeply. I wrote down everything I could remember. On my next visit to the bank, I sought out Joseph's niece with my envelope in hand. Would you see that this gets to Joseph's wife? Of course, she said. Have a Merry Christmas. I walked out of the bank feeling like it was Christmas, after all, no matter how hot it was outside. Somehow, that old reliable spirit found me and made me a bit more settled in my new surroundings. That weekend, the telephone rang. Hello? The woman on the other end was crying. It's Mrs. Soto, she managed. All his life, my husband was an expressive man, always kind and generous with his feelings to everyone. But toward the end of his life, Alzheimer's stole that for him, from us. For so long, I've missed him telling me he loves me. Your letter was the best Christmas gift I could have ever received. I hung up the phone feeling like something special had happened. Miles from home in a new town, I'd gotten the chance to play Santa for an old friend. That old reliable Christmas spirit had found me, palm trees or not. Oh, how sweet. Isn't that sweet? And it just makes you realize the lengths that spirit will go to help us all feel okay, especially when we participate in the magic of the holiday season. You know, when we spoke to Christopher Hughes a couple of weeks ago, weren't you reminded, Deb, that we have to seek out magic in our lives? And pay attention. And pay attention, yes. And this is, I almost feel like God could pat him or herself on the shoulder with this one and go, oh, I killed two birds with one stone with that one. Because, you know, he not only did he help Jeanette feel more at home in Florida by bumping into her old partner's niece, but he also helped his old partner's wife feel comforted in her grief during this time. What a lovely story. Our next story was written by Ashley Cartwright Peak and originally appeared in Reader's Digest. It's a lovely reminder of how our loved ones in heaven are always with us. I stood on my back porch, staring up at the stars and hoping to feel something other than loneliness. It was the day after Thanksgiving and the two-year anniversary of my husband's death. I thought maybe looking up at the heavens would help me feel closer to him, but all I felt was cold. Sighing, I turned to go back inside. Walking into the house, I was surprised to see a light on in the dining room. Weird, I don't remember doing that. Stranger still, it wasn't even the overhead light. Instead, it was the light in the hutch, and it was shining down on my angel statue. 
Shaking my head, I turned the light off and left the room. The same thing happened on the first day of December. I woke up excited because I love the whole month of Christmas. As I came downstairs for breakfast, I could see that the light in the hutch was on again. This time I knew I hadn't left it on. What was going on? Feeling slightly uneasy, I turned the light off once more. I'd almost forgotten about it a few days later when it happened again. I looked at the angel standing in the halo of light and finally understood. When my husband had become too weak to go upstairs, we turned the dining room into a bedroom for him. He'd left the earth from this very room. But in the light shining over the angel, he kept me company from heaven. Whenever I felt lonely, all I had to do was turn it on, if my husband didn't beat me to it. Isn't that lovely? And how wonderful that he kept that one particular symbol there for her. He went to a lot of trouble to turn that light on. It's not easy to do that from the other side. So what a sweet gift for her. It really is. And, you know, it reminds me of so many readings I've done for grieving spouses over the years. I'll hear stories like this. I remember one woman lost her husband and every evening when she fell asleep, she would fall asleep with the TV on because it was a comfort to her. She wasn't used to being alone in the house. And each morning when she woke up, the TV would be off. And she never knew how it turned off. She always thought it was her husband. And in the reading, that was one of the things he brought through was, I'll always turn the TV off for you. I've done other readings where spouses have told me that they'll sleep and they'll toss and they'll turn and normally the blankets are all over the place. But after their spouse passes, somehow the blankets are always wrapped up around them as as though their partner is still tucking them in. And I just think those stories are such lovely reminders of how our loved ones in heaven still watch out for us and really act like earth angels for us from the other side. This next story was first published in the Angels on Earth magazine. This is a magazine I've subscribed to for years, and I highly recommend it. It's just such a treat to get in the mail. Mom and I pulled our artificial Christmas tree out of the box together, the silver pine branches bending into shape, a popular look back in 1970. I hope the lights all work, Mom said, as if the tree itself weren't shiny enough. I shrugged. The truth was, I didn't care if we even had a tree when I woke up tomorrow. It was our first Christmas without my father. My heart was too heavy to enjoy anything. Hang some of those icicles, Mom said, pointing to the open box. I hooked a glittering ornament and reached for a branch. The movement made my head, which had been aching since dinner, feel worse. How I wished I was decorating the tree we had the year before when I was 13. The one Dad and I had picked out together. That tree had been perfect, like everything about that Christmas. Throughout my childhood, my father was in and out of the hospital with leukemia. My grown-up brothers and sisters had memories of him when he was younger and energetic. The dad I adored was almost always exhausted, until suddenly, like a miracle, his illness went into remission. Dad didn't take any of it for granted and made the most of every good day he had. What a blessing that it had happened just in time for Christmas. Are you thinking about the tree we had last year, Mom asked. I blinked, realizing I'd been standing by the silver tree, not hanging any ornaments, just lost in thought, remembering. Yes, I admitted. The tree had been Dad's idea, a real tree, not our artificial one. Dad and I drove to the Christmas tree farm to get it. On the way there, he told me about Christmases when he was a boy. My brothers and I used to go to the woods to cut down our tree, he said. In fact, we got our ornaments from the woods as well. You found Christmas ornaments in the woods, I had asked him. 
Money was too scarce to be spent on store-bought ornaments, he told me. So we decorated our tree with acorns, pine cones, and holly berries, and strung popcorn. One year, we did have enough cash left over from the sale of our tobacco crop to buy lights from the Sears catalog. Now that was something special. When Dad and I got home with our fresh-cut tree, I asked him if we could decorate it as he had when he was a boy. Sure we can, Dad said, fitting the tree securely into its stand. But remember, it won't be fancy like our silver tree. I thought about it. I want to do it. Me too, Dad said. You know, sometimes simplicity is good. It helps us look beneath the surface. With the tree secure in its stand, Dad and I hiked into the woods behind our house. Every acorn, pine cone, and holly berry we found went into our bucket. Back home, we popped a big bowl of corn. Mom cut out white cardboard angels to place on the branches, and Dad folded a silver star tree topper from aluminum foil. When we finished, I gazed at the tree, so humble, so beautiful. And then on Christmas Eve, a blizzard knocked out our electricity. My brother and sisters weren't able to make the trip on Christmas Day. That left Dad and me to play endless games of checkers by candlelight with Mom keeping score. I rubbed my throbbing head. No Christmas will ever be so cozy, I thought, hanging the last of the ornaments on our silver tree. Nothing will ever be the same without Dad. Patricia, Mom said gently, take some aspirin and get some sleep. We'll get up early tomorrow and go to Grandma's. I fell asleep thinking of that last perfect Christmas, and I dreamed. I was falling into a spiral the sound of wings flapping in the distance. I felt warm hands on my shoulders and turned my face to see Dad. He was in a long robe, an angel on either side of him. We stood on a marble platform, a soft white and rose light above us. Far beneath us, cars sped by on the street. People talked and laughed on the sidewalks. Dad and I were standing between heaven and earth. He looked younger than I'd ever seen him, as he did in pictures I'd seen of him and Mom before they were married. I hugged him tight. I miss you so much. I'm still with you, Dad said. I just have a different address. I'm in a wonderful place, but I wanted Dad to stay with me. We'll see each other again, he promised. And one more thing, he said as he faded from my vision. Take your time through life and keep it simple. I opened my eyes. It was Christmas morning. My headache was gone. So was the ache in my heart. My dream had helped me look beneath the surface and see the simple truth. I would see Dad again in that softly glowing heaven. Until then, I had the memory of a perfect Christmas to hold on to. A memory as shiny and bright as the tree that greeted Mom and me that morning. That story makes me a little sad, but I'm so glad that she had that wonderful gift of that dream visit. And it reminds me of what we often say on this show, and I think we mentioned it in our most recent Q&A, that Our loved ones from heaven, they can't always visit us in a dream, but when we really need to hear from them, as Patricia did on this Christmas Eve, they are able to show up and remind us that they're okay, that they're happy, and all they want is for us to be okay and happy and know that we will meet again. I have such wonderful memories of Christmas in my life, and in fact, I have a short story I'm very honored that's coming out in a literary journal in later in December. And it's about Christmases that I had with a wonderful father and and the gifts that he gave to the world. And this story reminds me of him. I I have a feeling that her dad and my dad would have been good friends. Oh, you'll have to share it on our Facebook page when it comes out. I will. That's exciting. Our next story is also from Angels on Earth and is about finding a little holiday magic with the help of angels. Christmas was coming. And while browsing a local secondhand store with my sister, Sheila, I thought about everything my family had to be grateful for in 2006. We had to stay positive. We wouldn't be in New Orleans this year. 
Our old neighborhood was still recovering from Hurricane Katrina. Luckily, I had a room in my home in St. Louis to take them all in. Our family had lived in New Orleans for generations, including the last 50 years in the Lower Ninth Ward. I hadn't lived in the city since 1969, but I visited often, and Christmas was still defined in my mind by the city's traditions. On December 25th, we made the rounds to our friends' houses, enjoying a drink, tasting their gumbo, and feasting on sweet potatoes and red velvet cake. Keep an eye out for little things we can use as stocking stuffers, Sheila said, scanning an upper shelf. This move has been so hard for Mama, Aunt Gladys, and Aunt Ellen. It would be nice to have a little bit more of home for Christmas. We do have the angel, I thought. Some of us had made a trip back to the house in New Orleans to see what we could salvage. The devastation was beyond belief. I lived in that neighborhood all my life, my brother Roe remarked when we returned, but I couldn't even tell where I was. All the landmarks were gone. Family mementos were missing too. Decades worth of photos, clothes, furniture, most of it gone except for the few items we boxed up and brought back to St. Louis. When we unpacked the boxes, my mom exclaimed with delight, you found the Christmas angels. She picked up a transparent glass candle holder in the shape of an angel. It was one of a pair, a gift my grandmother had from her sister-in-law. The pair had stood on our Christmas dinner table every year since the 1980s. Where's the other one, I asked. Roe shook his head, lost forever. That single angel would have a place of honor on our holiday table this year. But there would be something, I'm sorry, Samantha, this is bringing back a memory of a, a candle holder of my grandmother's. Oh, that's okay. Hang on, I'll get it together. <laughs> Rose shook his head, lost forever. The single candle, angel candle would have to have a place of honor on our holiday table this year. But there would be something sad about seeing her all alone. It was as if, just like us, she'd lost a part of herself. I tried to concentrate on all the angels we'd had since the storm. People donated clothes, toiletries, money. Another friend even found a weekly bingo game in St. Louis to make my aunts feel more at home. Our family would be together this Christmas. God help me focus on that instead of what we've lost, I thought. Maybe that pair of candle holders wouldn't be there on the table. But one angel was blessing enough. Sheila and I brought our purchases to the register. I had just taken out my wallet to pay when she grabbed my arm. Look, she said, is that what I think it is? I peered into the glass case. Could it be? Yes. Two glass angels. Our angels. A pair. The, ca <laughs> the cashier seemed a little confused by our excitement. There was nothing special about the candle holders that she could see. But for us, they were a small miracle. When my family sat down to Christmas dinner that year, our table had never felt so abundant. Once there were two angels, then one, and now three. Proof that with God, nothing good was ever lost. Okay, let's take a quick break. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on ChumbaCasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? 
they're also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. VGW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Okay, let's get back to our stories. This is another uplifting tale from Angels on Earth about a Santa angel. Frigid December wind passed right through my threadbare coat. I might have wished to be at home, but those days it wasn't much warmer there than it was standing at the bus stop. Mama had written a letter to the electric company explaining that we were late paying our bill because my sister was very ill and daddy had been laid off, but the power was cut off anyway. That's why Mama, my brother Buddy Earl, and I were on our way into town to pay the bill in person. I sat close to Buddy Earl for warmth on the bus when it finally showed up. Wreaths decorated the street lamps along the route. I don't think there's going to be much of a Christmas this year, I whispered to him. I heard Daddy and Mama talking about not having money to pay the bills, my brother said. That's why we're always eating pinto beans and potatoes. The walk to the electric company office from the bus stop was only a couple of blocks, but it was a relief to get inside. I wish our house was this warm, Buddy Earl said. I'm tired of wearing my coat all the time. After settling the bill, Mama brought us over to Rich's department store. There was Santa in a big wooden chair. You two go talk to him, she said. Just don't expect to get all you ask for. Buddy Earl and I joined the line of children waiting, and Mama sat on a bench nearby. We sat on Santa's lap as he asked, and what would you like this year? Santa, my brother said, I want the largest can of pork and beans you can find. I've eaten so many boiled potatoes lately, I think of them as part of the family. A can of beans, Santa asked. You're sure? No toys? Yes, Santa, he answered. And if it's not too much trouble, I also want a large box of that sweet cereal called Sugar Crisp. The kids at school say you can eat it right out of the box and don't need any milk. And what about you, Santa asked, turning to me. I was going to ask for a new pair of shoes and a coat, but my brother's right. Food and a little money is what our family needs most of all. Santa reached into his pocket, pulled out a notepad, and scribbled something with a pencil. Is your mother with you too, he asked. I pointed to the bench. That's our mama over there. She's waiting for us to finish. Santa lifted Buddy Earl off his knee. Could you ask her to come and talk to me, he said. Buddy Earl huddled up against me as we walked over to her. Are we in trouble, he asked. Is that why he wants to talk to mama? I really wanted pork and beans and sugar crisp, Buddy Earl said. Me too, I admitted, but Santa's a toy maker, not a grocer. I hope we didn't insult him. Mama and Santa talked for a few minutes. Santa took a couple more notes. Then Mama brought us home. We didn't dare ask about their private conversation. Christmas morning, Mama and Daddy gathered us around our tree to give thanks for all we had. There were no toys from Santa under the tree. No presents at all, really. But that was okay, especially since we had electricity again. Breakfast was homemade bread with apple butter Mama had canned the year before. It wasn't sugar crisp, but it was wonderfully sweet and filling. I'd just taken a big bite when there was a knock at the door. Daddy opened it to a man I'd never seen before. He was holding a big box. This is for you and your family, he said. Merry Christmas, and may angels watch over you. The man was gone before Daddy even had a chance to invite him in. Daddy put the box on the table and opened it up. Inside was an envelope and lots of food. Daddy read the letter from the envelope. May the Lord's blessings be upon you. 
Do not dwell upon sadness, for our Savior knows your sufferings and has heard your prayers. Daddy reached into the envelope again and pulled out some dollar bills. Mama and Daddy looked at each other, and she removed the food from the box. The first thing on the table was a big can of pork and beans. Buddy Earl's eyes went wide. An angel came to our door today, Mama said, as she pulled out a big box of sugar crisp cereal. Later, Buddy Earl pulled me aside. There were only two people in the world who knew I wanted beans and cereal, you and Santa. Mama said it was an angel who brought them, I said. I tried to make sense of things for my little brother. Santa must have asked that angel for help. Or maybe angels are listening when kids talk to Santa at the store. That was the best I could figure. Not long after Christmas, Daddy was called back to work. My sister recovered from her illness. I even received a new pair of shoes and a coat. Well, the coat wasn't new exactly, but it was thicker than my old one and it kept me warm. All these years later, I still think about that man who came to our door. Could he have been an off-duty Santa Claus? Could he be an angel on call? In my heart, I know he was both. It's amazing to think of so many families out there right now who are in need like that. I love that. And it's just, you know, it's a reminder that so many of our store Santas, you read stories like this a lot. And a lot of those Santas do indeed take notes and will reach out and help people in need like this. And, and I just think it's a beautiful thing. I do too. Our next story is from Reader's Digest. It was written by David Grinstead. At Christmas time in 1961, our family was on the way from Seattle to a new assignment on the East Coast. And we checked into a motel in Watertown, South Dakota. It was not the best time to travel with young children, and we were concerned about Santa finding us on the road. We headed into town to find a store, and as our car approached an intersection, there was a Santa right on the crosswalk. He held up his hand for us to stop, and we rolled down our windows. Santa poked his head through the window and said to our kids, Oh, there you are. I was wondering where I'd find you tonight. Naturally, the kids were thrilled to pieces. They made sure we told Santa which motel we were staying in so he could find them. The car top carrier and the out-of-state license plate might have been a giveaway, but whoever it was, that Santa made Christmas 1961 a memorable one for our kids. I love that. I love that too. I mean, what made that Santa stop that car and poke his head in and say, there you are. You know, this is how I feel our angels work. Hey, these kids are super worried that Santa's not going to find them. And I feel like this is how they work. They drop these thoughts into people's heads. And and that Santa got that thought dropped into his head and acted on it. And it made it such a memorable Christmas. They're still writing and talking about it 50 years later. Okay, this story written by Helen Lyshield reminds us that our prayers for protection are always answered. As a young woman during World War II, my great-aunt Anna had fled the Ukraine on her own and managed to get herself out of Europe. How did you manage in those war-torn years, I asked her. I imagine it must have been so scary. Aunt Anna took a sip of tea. I used to be afraid of so many things, she said, turning serious, but that was before. Before what, I asked. She shook her head. It's a very long story. Please tell it, I urged. Aunt Anna let out a deep breath. It was three weeks before Christmas, 1944, she said. I was a refugee in Yugoslavia living with a host family in an old house up in the mountains. There was a lot to be afraid of there. Not just during the air raids when bombs dropped from the sky, but any time. People were desperate. 
Many were hostile to foreigners. It wasn't safe or smart to walk alone, but people get restless. One day with a friend, another refugee like me, I walked all the way to the train station for a trip to a nearby city. They had planned to be home before dark, but by the time the train pulled back into the station, the sky was nearly black and sleet was pelting the train. The friend looked out the window and decided to spend the night with her son, who lived right by the station. You're welcome to come with me, she offered my Aunt Anna. I was tempted, Aunt Anna told me, but I knew the family I was staying with would worry if I didn't come home, and I had no way to reach them. They had no telephone. What could she do but walk home alone? As soon as I stepped out of the train, the icy winds tore at the thin kerchief on my head and seemed to slice right through my threadbare coat. The sleet stung my face. I had a four-mile walk ahead of me. There were barely any houses along the mountain road, and I had no flashlight. Plus, there was a rushing mountain stream to cross. What did you do? I asked. I prayed, she said simply. Father, I'm so scared. Take away this terror. Walk with me. Right at that moment, a light fanned across the sky. The light moved with me. There were no bombers overhead. I couldn't tell where the glow was coming from. But wherever I went, it went with me. It was almost like being covered with an umbrella as I followed the path into the mountains. What was this illumination? Where had it come from? I listened spellbound, waiting for her to continue. When she got to the stream, the water glistened like diamonds in the mysterious light. My aunt had no trouble stepping on the flat rocks to cross over. Safely on the other side, she realized the wind had completely stopped. So had the rain. Her threadbare coat no longer felt too thin to protect her. On the last mile to her friend's house, she felt as warm as a summer's night. I, Anna, walked up to the little mountain house and knocked. When the door opened, a sudden gust of wind nearly pulled it off its hinges. Anna, come in, the family yelled as they pulled her inside. Such a storm, weren't you afraid? But as far as Aunt Anna was concerned, there was no storm. Then she stopped and listened. The sounds of the storm were all around them. The howling wind, the sleet pelting the windows, the old house creaking and moaning under the onslaught. Had she somehow imagined the balmy weather she just walked four miles through? I was about ready to tell the family I mustn't be well, Aunt Anna said, that maybe the war and all my fears were getting to be too much for me. What else could explain what had just happened to me? Aunt Anna looked at me as if she'd just now come home from the walk. How confused she must have been. The family took my coat and passed it around so they all could feel it. My coat was completely dry. So it was real, I said. The illumination, the umbrella. Aunt Anna nodded. It was proof. God walks with all of us, no matter where we go in the world. Knowing that, why should I ever be afraid? Why should anyone? I love that story because if that had happened to me, I would have felt just like Aunt Anna, like maybe I had just imagined it or I was so tired that I couldn't even feel the sleet and the, and the rain and the wind anymore. But the fact that her coat was dry and everyone passed it around to feel it, that kind of proves that it was a miracle. You bet. I love that story. I have no doubts about those kind of stories, you know? I just don't. It's a great reminder that we have to ask for that protection. Absolutely. This story was also published in Country Magazine. It's not so much an angelic story as it is a story about seeking answers to your prayers and learning to see miracles wherever and however they appear in your life. It's written by Bill Sparling. In the late 1940s, we were living in a little country town called Monta Vista near San Jose, California. Dad worked on and off, 
so we were generally low on money. But this particular year, we had no funds for a Christmas tree. The tradition mom loved the most was decorating the Christmas tree, which always stood in a place of honor in our living room. Come Thanksgiving, she would start dragging out boxes filled with all kinds of decorations. Mom was almost in mourning about not having a tree that year. We tried to cheer her up, but nothing seemed to work. As the holiday got closer, she retreated to her bedroom. There, being a woman of strong faith, she began to pray, leaving the situation in God's hands. A few days before Christmas, we awoke to an ecstatic mother singing Christmas carols and looking for the decorations. Mom, I asked her, why are you so happy all of a sudden? She said, come see what God did. I went out to the back porch with her. A gigantic tumbleweed had blown against the garage door in the middle of the night. But mom didn't see a tumbleweed. She saw a beautiful Christmas tree. We couldn't get it through the front or back doors, so we opened both the French doors on the side of the house and brought the tree in that way. Somehow the two of us got it fastened to the Christmas tree stand, and we sat it up in the living room. Then we sat down at the dining room table and began to cut strips of construction paper, gluing the ends together to form a chain of bright colors. Mom made popcorn for us to string together with needles and thread. The branches of the tumbleweed were much too brittle to support lights, so we just tied one string close to the trunk where the lights would shine upward. We all stood back and looked at our tree. My mom began to cry softly. I heard her say under her breath, thank you, God, for providing us with a tree to bless us this Christmas. It's a memory that continues to bless me every year. I love that story, Deb, because it's a reminder for me. I know me. I know know how I would have been in that situation. If I had prayed for a Christmas tree and I woke up and saw a giant tumbleweed, I'd be like, really, God? That's the best you can do? surely you would not. Surely you would have been like this woman and been grateful for what was given. You know? No, I don't think I would have been. I really think I'd be like, really, a tumbleweed? That's all you think of me? So to me, this is just such a good reminder that, as we were saying at the beginning of the show, we have to be a participant with magic. We have to seek it. We have to recognize when miracles are coming to us, however they come. She took a tumbleweed and turned it into a Christmas tree and saw it as an answered prayer. If we could all have that attitude, what a beautiful, beautiful world this would transform into. You know, you mentioned, Samantha, on our question and answer show last week that Elvis was a twin. And I didn't know that about Elvis. And I thought I knew a lot about Elvis Presley because my mama loved Elvis. I mean, she really, really did. Mama loved Halloween and mama loved Christmas. And mama thought Thanksgiving was okay. But Thanksgiving was just something you had to get through to get to Christmas. We always ate Thanksgiving dinner real early. I mean, like one o'clock in the afternoon on Thanksgiving. As soon as the turkey was out of the oven, we were eating. And we had this big, I mean, huge console stereo system with a big turntable on it, gigantic speakers. And Mama always got Elvis's Christmas album out before she set the table for Thanksgiving. And the minute that somebody finished the first piece of pumpkin pie at Thanksgiving. She got up from that table. She went to that stereo and she dropped that needle on Elvis Presley's Christmas album. And Elvis started singing Santa Bring My Baby Back to Me. And that was the beginning of Christmas. 
And that meant that that was the signal for us to get the table cleared off, the kitchen cleaned up, and it was time to start decorating for Christmas. And there were many years that Mama, Mama called a hard rock candy Christmas, meaning that there wasn't much, at least in her eyes. But there was so much in terms of love and kindness and wonder. And I will never hear Elvis Presley without hearing Santa bring my baby back to me on Thanksgiving Day. Oh, that is so beautiful. Holding on to memories like that and telling those memories, that's such a perfect way to honor our loved ones in heaven. Isn't it? It really is. It is. It is. So anyway, I just want to share that great little story with everybody about my mama and Elvis. Well, I'll share a quick story before we wrap up. I think I've shared it on the show before, but for new listeners, one of my favorite Christmas memories doesn't start off very nicely, I know, but it, my mom was in the hospital. <laughs> That's not a good sentence, is it? One of my favorite Christmas memories is when my mom was in the hospital, but bear with me. So she had like a really, really bad case of food poisoning, and she had been in the hospital for over a week. And it was Christmas time, and we didn't know when she was coming home or if she was getting better. It was, you know, she was hooked up on an IV and all of this. And every day, my dad would take us to the hospital to visit with her. And one of these days, I slipped away to the hospital chapel, and I knelt down, and and I just prayed to Mary, and I asked her to help my mom and to bring her home. And, you know, you guys know my mom, not super maternal. So I also said, Mary, can you step in and be my mother as well? And I felt instantly guilty and kind of ashamed for having that prayer when I was really there to pray for my mom to get healthy and come home. And then I'm asking, you know, Mother Mary to step in and and be my mom. So I was feeling all sorts of conflicted emotions. And I go back to the hospital room and I said goodbye to my mom. And my dad grabbed my hand and we walk out. The time we were living in a town in North Carolina, I was in the second grade. There was only one Catholic church in this entire town. So there wasn't like a lot of belief in Mother Mary, if you know what I mean. So I thought this was really weird. I'm thinking about my prayer and we're walking across the parking lot and I stepped on something squishy and I looked down and it's a hand-knitted ornament of Mother Mary. And I just thought, oh my gosh, she answered my prayer. And I remember just picking up that beautiful, beautifully knitted ornament and just putting it in my pocket and thinking, yep, she's my mother and she's all of our mothers. So every time we have a moment where we just need that little extra heavenly hug. I hope these stories have reminded all of you, we have to ask for it. We have to seek it. But once we do, once we open our heart and say, I need a miracle this Christmas, or I need to feel holiday magic, or I need to know that my angels are with me. I need to remember that my loved ones, as I celebrate Hanukkah or Christmas or Kwanzaa or whatever holiday you are celebrating this month, I need to feel that holiday magic and love around me. Know that when you say that prayer, when your heart utters those emotions, it will be heard and answered. And when it is, we'd love to hear from you. So if you have a holiday magical, miraculous story to share with us, please know we'd love to hear it. You can always email us, psychicteachers at gmail.com, or you can send us a message on Facebook where you can find us at Psychic Teachers. We really hope you guys have enjoyed this show. Take care. Have a beautiful, blessed week filled with magic and miracles. Be the light for yourself and others. Take care, everyone.
Thank you for listening to Psychic Teachers, your podcast for seekers, lightworkers, mystics, and magical thinkers. If you like the show, please tell a friend or leave us a review wherever you listen to your podcast. For more information, check out our Facebook page, Psychic Teachers, or our websites, samanthafay.com and debbowen.com. I have a new book out called The Awake Dreamer, Lucid Dreaming, Astral Travel, and Mastering the Dreamscape. You can find it wherever books are sold. Thanks for listening and have a great week. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandslots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Lucky Land Casino. Asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.